there's always like that what if game. Like, what if I do it and it fails? What if I do it and my boss emails me and hates it? Or what if whatever? And it's easy to let all those negative thoughts prevent you from even going for it in the first place. So if you're having these doubts, I say just play the rest of the what if game, which is like, what if it's a hit? What if it opens up doors to your next biggest opportunity? Like it's better to have done it and failed than to never do it at all. Cause then you never know. Welcome to Rep Your Brand, a podcast for B2B marketers who are looking to build their career through a strong personal brand. Rep Your Brand is hosted by Nick Bennett, one of LinkedIn's top voices on field marketing and personal branding. In each episode, Nick captures stories on how to overcome the challenges marketers face with growing their brand. So if you're a marketer looking to open doors and create opportunities that you never thought were possible, then listen in to get tangible tips and strategies to build your very own personal brand. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Rep Your Brand, a podcast for B2B marketers who are looking to build their careers through a strong personal brand. I'm Nick Bennett. This podcast is brought to you by my friends at Motion. They're a done-for-you podcasting service for scrappy marketing teams in B2B tech. Two of the nicest guys around, and the work that they do is truly world-class. You can find them at motionagency.io. And today, our guest is Devin Reed, head of content strategy at Gong and a must-follow on LinkedIn. Devin, thanks for joining me. Of course, man. I'm happy to hang out with you anytime. It's always a pleasure. <laughs> awesome. So I want to kind of frame this conversation around a big idea. And so content is more influential and shareable than ever before. Anyone can use content to grow their business, build their brand and catapult their career. However, most marketers don't build their own personal brand because they fear what their employer will think or believe they won't have the time. So that's why you created a strategy to kind of develop content that can help build your brand and dominate LinkedIn. So I wanted to kind of go into that. And so everyone knows who you are. So let's just kind of get into the, the questions around it. So, I wish that were true, but I'm not, I'm not quite that, I'm not quite that confident yet. <laughs> come on, you're awesome. So I want to hear your perspective on how companies can use content from a personal branding standpoint. Yeah. So I would say is like, there's kind of a, a couple ways you can use content, obviously, in B2B, and we can break that down a whole lot. Here's my philosophy, and they can feel free to kind of like pick it apart, is like, the more your employees are out there being visible and being seen in a positive light, the better your company is being seen and viewed in a positive light. Like that's very like the simplest form of like why it's a good thing. If you think about it, you want your staff to be, you know, whether they want to be thought leaders in the space, like very outwardly, or if you just want them to be viewed as advisors and professionals who are respected, a great way to get that out there is building your digital brand, right? And content is a big part of that. So I think it's 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 wild to me. I understand exactly why companies don't want their people to have personal brands, like we can get into that, but it's a bit of an older kind of like line of thinking and kind of perception and like the newer, younger people are coming in they're more, you know, native to digital. And this is how, you know, we communicate. I, I was just talking to my wife last night. I was like, we're the last ones. Like we're the last ones who remember life before cell phones and like the internet always being in your pocket. Everyone after us, like this is normal. So if you find yourself looking at like digital natives as like, what are they doing? Why are they doing it that way? Like that's the wrong, like you have to shift your mindset and just at least accept it. You don't have to love it. You don't have to do it, but you have to understand like this is the way that the world is moving towards. Yep. Yeah, totally agree with you. It's like, 
you, you know, people think that they can drive so much pipeline and revenue from like their brand pages on like a LinkedIn or something. Yeah, like you need that, of course. It still makes sense. But like your employees have so much of a higher reach. And if you compound that across all your employees, like just think about the the reach that you can have. It's It's astronomical. It's insane. And that's what something I learned early on was like, we had Chris Orlob, like when I started at marketing, like Chris Orlob had 30,000 followers, like three-ish years ago. Not that many people had 30,000 followers unless you were like a legitimate, like A-list, B-list celebrity on LinkedIn, right? You know, like Simon Sinek has like 2 million followers, like he's famous. So I remember seeing that and be like, this one individual has so much reach. And so my thought was, I want that for myself, but also I want to build that across Gong because if I can get 10, 20, 30 people to be active, don't have to be thought leaders, don't have to be 30,000, just 5,000 followers, you know, even if it's a small sphere, all those people are putting out, you know, content and guess what they're doing? They're clicking Sarah Brazier's profile. Oh, she works at Gong. Let me click that profile. Oh, wow. This is great content. Let me follow that. Two weeks later, let me download that. Two weeks later, let me go to your event. Before you know it, you have a client. Just because you empowered and enabled folks like Sarah and there's you know plenty of others to just be themselves, provide value, and it like you know I said like it's cyclical, right? And so yeah, it's like our marketing reach is crazy because we don't rely just on the traditional channels that I can control myself. Exactly. Yeah. No. I mean, you completely nailed it. So I want to kind of start with your story. So you started out in sales. I actually started out in sales my, myself as well. And you did copywriting on the side. Now you're the head of content strategy at one of the hottest tech companies in the world right now. You know, what was the spark that allowed you to switch from sales to content? So I'd say there's there's kind of two things. There's like my spark, like what motivated me. And then there's kind of like what I actually did to earn the opportunity, I'd say. So do you want me to, want me to cover both maybe in, in that order? Yeah, absolutely. So I was at Eventbrite actually before Gong and I was on the sales team, was you know doing really well and just had this desire to get into a, a content related role. Like, again, this, like, I feel weird. Like, three years ago is not, or well, at this time, it's about five ish, four or five years ago. It doesn't feel like that long ago, but content was very different then. Like, it isn't really what it is today. You didn't have like the influencer realm like it is and all that kind of stuff. So, I just had this itch to like get into a content related role, tried sales enablement. There wasn't a, you know, a role open for me. I applied for a marketing manager position, got all the way to the final stage, and then was, you know, passed on. And so I had definitely like tried to get it going and I just had this like itch to figure out like, you know, yeah, I can, you know, I can influence one client at a time, right? In my book of business, like every meeting I'm influencing one person to maybe buy what I've got or educate them. But what if I can use content to educate multiple people at a time or maybe even move a market to start to understand, you know, position Eventbrite or later Gong. And so I just kind of had these like early thoughts. And so when I got let down for that role, I knew I wanted to like figure something out. So I ended up moving over to Gong. Funny story, I ended up reading a Gong Labs blog and that's what how I learned about Gong. I ended up applying. So when I moved over there as a sales rep, I was kind of had like a chip on my shoulder. I was like, how are you going to get me all the way to the final round? Let me down because I, they said I failed the personality test, by the way. Like I wasn't curious enough was the, the reason I didn't get the job. So half of me is like, you know, competitive. And I'm like, man, F that. I don't know if I can curse on this podcast. F that. I'm like, I'm going to prove myself. And the other half of me was like insecure because I was like, man, maybe I'm just a sales rep. Like, and not that that's a bad thing, but like maybe that's the box I'm just meant to be in. And so I was like, let me launch some consulting or, you know, at the time I just called it like, you know, freelancing 
and see if anyone will pay me to create content for them. Like I'll do anything. I'll write blogs because I can write. I can write email cadences because I've done that a bunch and just kind of anything in that little realm. And so for a year, I was like, I'm going to do my nine to five. I'm going to hustle, pay the bills, you know, my due diligence at Gong. But at night, I'm going to find clients, do these little side projects and just see if someone will pay me. That was what I wanted to prove to myself that I have what it takes to be a professional and that someone will pay me for these services. So that was kind of like what kicked it off. I did that for you know two years. Didn't make a ton of money. It was just you know a couple thousand dollars over the course of a year, like nothing wild. But it gave me that confidence to go, okay, like there's people out there that see something here. So fast forward to kind of how I got there at Gong. You know, I've been on the sales team for about two years. Was really successful, and. I remember there's like two moments I went to Udi, our, CM, our now CMO, and was like, it kind of pitched these ideas, right? So first was I went to him with a podcast and I was like, yo, let, like, I have this idea. Like, let's take Gong Labs with Chris Orlob and me. We'll do a podcast. Like podcasts were just starting to really like be a thing. He was like, no, nah, let's not do that. But, you know, LinkedIn just hit us up and offered LinkedIn Live. We were like one of the first companies to get act- access to LinkedIn Live. So we went from doing a you know pre-recorded edited audio content to live video content, which for anyone in the, in the game, like, yeah, Nick, you're smiling, like very different. But I saw my opportunity and I was like, look, if this is the pan I'm dealt, like I'm going to do everything I can. So I, you know, built it with Chris, ran it by myself for the most part, like Chris is my co-host, but like I did a lot of the, you know, managing and all that. We did it for like 20 weeks, live LinkedIn show, brought the video crew in, did a whole thing. I knew it was pretty successful. And so Later, when the opportunity to work for Chris came up, I went and talked to Udi about it. And it was a really short conversation because I had proven success in my sales role. I'm really, you know, I had credibility at Gong, people and I'm well liked. And more so, like, here's this kind of large campaign that I had just ran by, you know, relatively by myself while doing this other job. So, you know, I proved I could do it and I proved I was dedicated. So that kind of opened up the door. And then the last one was, you know, we were hosting an event, Revenue Intelligence Summit a few months later, and I just caught him in the hallway. And I'm like, hey, I heard you're hosting an event. He's like, yeah. And I was like, do you have an MC? Like, I'd love to host. And he was like, sure, you can do it. And just like right then and there. So you know what I mean? It's just like kind of trying to just put myself out there, take any opportunity I could and just like build, build momentum little by little. And that's inevitably how I got to where I am today. Yeah, I love that story. It's it's so so like empowering too. And so it was, you know, it's interesting because I saw in one of your videos that your content career kind of stems from two things: hustle and a dream. And so, like, why did you start in sales nine to five and work on your copywriting on the side? Like, is, it, was there any specific reason? I mean, my thought was like, no one's going to give me an opportunity. Like, I'm not going to, no matter how successful I'm at sales at Gong, I'm not going to call you know, Nick at Alice and be like, Hey man, I, I know I don't have any marketing background, but like, give me a shot to be a content marketer or whatever role, right? Like as cool as you are, as, as cool as I might be like, that just isn't happening. Cause I don't, you know, no one's going to take a chance on that. And so I was like, I need to build, you know, some momentum and some experience there. And so I'm like, look, my nine to five is gone. I, they hired me to hit a quota. That's what I know how to do. I'm not going to half-ass that at all. But at night, I'm willing to make a sacrifice and spend a little less time with my then, you know, girlfriend, fiance, who's now my wife, and a little less time on sleep for a short period of time to see if I can work towards this thing. And if it works out, great. But my thought was like, I'd rather try now and give it a shot versus, you know, I don't know, 85 years old on my deathbed being like, man, I just never know if that would have worked out or I'm not sure, you know, I kind of regret not giving it my all. So I'm like, let me just go all out, see what happens. 
And uh, I know we'll talk about momentum a little bit, but I just believe that, you know, putting yourself out there and doing your best, it always opens up more doors and better things. Yep. Totally agree with you. What was the hardest part to manage the balancing act between sales and content creation, like earlier in your career? I know, like you said, you sacrifice sleep and stuff, but like what, you know, how did you do that? Anyone that knows me, you're like, uh, on my team knows I'm like maniacal about time. And so I'm very aware of, okay, what time do I have to do certain activities and what is the outcome that I need from it? So anyone that works in sales knows it's not a nine to five, but I knew that like the hours of like, you know, basically I used to be terrible, wake up, check email, you know, until like 6 PM, I'm checking email constantly. I had to just like set boundaries for myself and be like, okay, what is working in the sales realm? Don't break that. Cause I got to hit quota. I have to pay the bills like that. You know, the other stuff doesn't work. If the base, if you're, you know, your home's not in order, you know, to use that kind of that analogy or cliche. And so I was like, okay, let me compartmentalize sales. Let me then have like an hour or two to like decompress, eat dinner, walk the dog, have a you know bit of a personal life. And then I would like literally pour a cup of coffee like 8.30 PM. And I'd be like at 11.30, I'm, I'm like, that's my block, two, three hours. I'm getting it done. If I get done early, great. If I don't, I'll go to bed at midnight. Like it's all good. And I know that's like, it kind of sounds like hustle culture. So I'm not really trying to say like, that's what everyone should do. And maybe it's you know, 30 minutes for you, you know, whoever's listening, like maybe it's 30 minutes at night, maybe it's two hours, maybe it's Sundays, right? It's just about balance. And so by making sure I had very intentional goals, and very disciplined with my time. And I also knew how long I was going to do this, right? This wasn't a 10 year stint. This wasn't a four year stint. This was like a six month to a year stint where I was willing to do that. And of course, there'd be a week where I'm like, you know, this week, I'm going to take it off. I'm not going to do the, you know, six to nine thing or, you know, the nighttime shift, let myself kind of feel good, get energized again, and then and then hit it again. That's awesome, man. That's a really great story. Let's pivot down to the strategy. So I see a lot of people that post content aimlessly. There's no real thread to their message. Why do you think it's important to have a cohesive and intentional strategy with your content? I view the like content strategy or building a personal brand. And when we say building a personal brand, we usually mean building a digital personal brand. And what I view that as is like building a relationship, right? So if folks in my personal life, and I'm pretty much the same dude personally and professionally, I, I enjoy that, is like, I'm going to talk about a few key things, right? We're going to talk about wearing the Warriors thing today. Like I'm going to talk about basketball or sports. I might talk about sneakers and like people that know me know there's like a few key things that I like to talk about, right? So topics, things that I know, things that I like. They also know there's a way that I talk, right? The the tone that I use, how animated am I, how, you know, funny, or maybe I don't know how funny I am, but how many jokes I try to tell, whether they're funny or not is up to them. And so when you think about building a personal digital brand, it's the same concept, right? Like what message do you want people to leave with? So here's a quick way to put it in there. What do you want to be synonymous with? For me, I want it to be content strategy. That's what I'm doing. That's what I built. That's where I'm going. I still talk about sales because people know me for that. I have expertise there. I can provide value there. So I kind of split it, right? But if, for example, someone's like, I want to be known, like I'm working with somebody who's like, I want to be like a CS like leader, not like a thought leader, but like I want to just like lead other people and help them understand like all the, you know, the stories, the, you know, the, the trials, the errors, all that stuff. So I tell them then talk about that almost exclusively, not exclusively because no human being only talks about one topic, but you need to be intentional and say, okay, what is the value that I'm providing and who am I providing that value to? And then how am I going to talk about that? And so once you align those three things, you also have like a framework and guidelines, right? Because if you're on Sunday night and you're like, okay, I want to post on LinkedIn three times this week, 
there's a million things you could talk about, right? You could talk about the, you know, the Cowboys game. If you, you know, if you're a football fan, you could talk about motion because, you know, this is a cool brand I found. Like, but if you talk about random things for six weeks, at the end of the six weeks, people just see you on LinkedIn, but they don't really know why, right? They don't really synonymize you with anything. I don't know if synonymize is the word, but if it is, I'll take that. And so like being intentional, right, over time. So like for me, for example, I talked about like sales, a lot about sales emails and cadences and like copywriting type stuff and content strategy. Well, a few weeks later, what happens? People are hitting me up, asking for advice, asking for consulting for those specific things. So you kind of have to think like, what's your end goal? What do you want to, you know, what do you want the action you want your audience to take? What do you want to be known for? And then you kind of backfill the content to, to lead you to that end goal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's kind of, for me, it was like going down the field marketing path because it was just like, that's what I did. Like that was what I was known for. And still like what I get, yeah, I branched out and like I started to talk about other stuff now, but it's still kind of like who I am. And so people will hit me up all the time asking for like advice or feedback. Or like, how do I do like an account based motion or something like that? So definitely agree with that. So a lot of content is produced and distributed, but there's no impact. It's not memorable. What do you think the biggest difference between forgettable and memorable content is? Yeah. How, how long do you have? There's a few, <laughs> a few things. And this is like basically like what irks me, but I don't mean it in like a finger waggy way of like, Hey, you should do it this other way. It's just like, consider this, right? So I think the things that don't work in content marketing stems from a couple of things. The first one is not knowing your audience well enough. And the other one is not prioritizing your audience every single time. So to truly have content that breaks through the noise and that builds trust and credibility, you have to understand your audience intimately. Not like Amazon data personally, right? Like I don't need to know like the last time you ordered baby wipes or something like that, uh, though they clearly know that for me and my one-year-old. It's more of like, what challenges does ABM marketers have? How do they describe those challenges? What emotions do they have with those challenges, right? And when you can really get to that level, then you can create content that speaks to them directly, right? It's in the language that they use. It's the timing that they're feeling, feeling these things and thinking about these problems. So that's going to capture attention immediately. The other part is prioritizing your audience over yourself, which means providing value before you promote yourself or anything that you have to offer, right? Everyone out here is marketing is either marketing themselves in a service or a product. And so what irks me and what I think a lot of people do mostly, I don't know if it's intentionally or not, to be honest, but you know, how many times Nick, you see a listicle, right? And it's like, you know, 10 ways to increase revenue with ABM. It's like number one, I don't know, send personal gifts, right? Totally good tip, by the way, go Alice. Number two, buy our software. Right. And not the Alice, but you know what I mean? It's like buy our software is number two. And it's like, that's not value. That's promotion. Right. And so it's like, when you think about like what value is from a content standpoint, it's helping someone be better at their job in a B2B standpoint. Like that's the easiest way, because if you're, you know, selling to ABM marketers, finance managers, sales professionals, whatever, there's something that you can provide for them to help them be better at their job. And so if you just focus on who your audience is, what they care about and delivering value, and you'll condition them that, hey, every time I see a post from Devin or every time I see a post from Nick, I know there's something for me potentially. Maybe I'm not interested in that thing today because, you know, no one's perfect, but you know, quickly the people on LinkedIn where you're like, oh, now they're like, you know, another self-promotion post or cool, you're doing like a webinar, but it's just like promotional and it's not really value-based. And so people will unsubscribe literally or mentally because there's so much more content out there that can potentially speak to their niche and their needs. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you absolutely like nailed that. Like I couldn't have said it any better myself. And you talked about something that I want to kind of go down the path of let's talk about newsletters. So you, you started your own newsletter. I'm a big fan of it. What made you want to do that? Because I've personally, I've thought about it because like there's such a misunderstanding of what field marketing is or like ABM and like value. First. Like I thought about doing it. So I'm truly interested. So I, it stemmed from a couple of things. So admittedly, this one was started a little selfishly, but always goes back to value. So I, I can't remember who it was. It was someone I'd never seen on LinkedIn before posted. And he basically said, if you think your LinkedIn following is yours, you're wrong. Because at any time, LinkedIn can change the algorithm, kick you off the platform, whatever. And those 30,000 followers you have, gone. So I'm thinking, man, I'm building on LinkedIn, like I'm putting a lot of effort into it, but it's not really mine at the end of the day. And God forbid any, any of those you know, examples should happen. I don't want to lose all that. So I thought, and, and it was also in the post, like build a newsletter, right? Then you have their email addresses. You can take them with you from you know, well, job to job or you know, throughout your career or whatever. And you can build something that's like kind of truly yours. So I said, okay, that's really good. I'm big on ownership. I like that. But I also need to provide value because at the same time, I'm like, I don't want to have this self, you know, self-benefiting newsletter just for the sake of it. So the next thought was kind of like, what audience do I want to serve and what message do I have that's worth sharing with them? So we kind of go back to what we were just talking about, like what's broken in the world? Well, I think content strategy is what's missing from B2B. I know the power of content. Content marketing is a thing. There's something that needs to be bridged there. And I have some experience and expertise, you know, creating content that's worked. And I've seen a lot of stuff, you know, growing and building Gong's content team. So let's mash that all together. And so that's when I came up with uh, the content strategy reader, figured, hey, let's make it free. Let's make it casual on Saturday mornings. And it's kind of like a lesson every week, right? Sometimes it comes from something I'm working on with my team. Maybe it's something I see out just like, you know, consuming content. But I was like, if I can create a little, almost like a little community, I'm not trying to build an actual like, you know, Slack group or anything like that yet. But if I can just build a list of folks who are all like, yeah, this is interesting, then it can also segue into other, you know, other pieces of content. You can take that content and, you know, build a book or build courses or whatever. So I kind of viewed it as like building up a book of content while also being able to help content marketers, marketing leaders, and again, getting that message of content strategy out into the market. Yeah, no, that's awesome for sure. And so I wonder, you've got over 34,000 followers on LinkedIn. So how do you feel that your personal brand has allowed you to create the momentum for the newsletter? Yeah, it's, it's funny. So I'm keeping true. So I, I would say like build something and then document the journey. That's the best way to just get content out there. Because I think a lot of times people think like, okay, I'm going to build this really good thing. Then I'll be like known, I'll get visibility from that. And then I'll tell everyone like how I did it. But it's really hard to remember like what you did in February of 2020 as part of this big process or plan, right? So I have a little doc I'm working on from the day I launched. And it's just little, you know, Google Sheets of like, okay, first post that I, you know, when at launch day, here's the LinkedIn post, here's the like link to it, here's how many followers I or you know, subscribers I got every single week. And I'm documenting that journey. Now, I've already thought like, hey, when I share this, it's easy to be like, wow, Devin got, I got a thousand subscribers in the, the first few days, right? People are like, wow, what did you do? How did you do that? And they're expecting like from launch day to a thousand that that's where the work was done. But the work was done the two years before launch day, right? It was building up all this content on LinkedIn, building, you know, trust and credibility and being able to convert the 30 some odd thousand followers into a thousand subscribers. 
right? And, and continuing that on. So that's like really how I did it was just continuing to provide value over and over again on LinkedIn and, you know, just trying to be approachable. So it's kind of like an upsell, if you will, right? It's like, oh, I already know Devin from LinkedIn. Oh, there's this like other thing and it's free. Why, you know, why would I say no? To exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, that definitely makes sense. So you started out balancing copywriting with your nine to five sales position. Now you're building a newsletter on the side as you head up content at Gong. Why are you still doing this balancing act? Like, is there, I guess, is there an end goal for you with the newsletter or is it just kind of like a side hustle? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question to be honest. Like I have some ideas, like I have a subscriber goal. Like I'm trying to grow it because, you know, if it's stagnant, maybe it's not working. Right. And so it's less of like a vanity metric to be like, you know, next, next Christmas, I talk to you, Nick, my, well, I got 10,000 subscribers. Like it's not a flex. It's like, are you providing value? Because if you are, people will follow people. And obviously there's things you can do to help people, you know, get the word out and all that stuff. But like, for the most part, I want to grow the newsletter out because maybe I'll have other, you know, courses or other things I can provide to this audience that will, you know, that will help them. The other thing, and I know we kind of, I commented on your post, I think it was like this week or last week is like, I don't want to apply to jobs anymore. I, I just decided that like a year ago where I'm like, if I do my job well at Gong, if I build a following on LinkedIn and people know who I am and I have this newsletter that's respectable, I shouldn't really have to apply, right? People should come to me and it's already, you know, it's happened in passing from time to time, some like kind of casual offers. But when my time comes to leave Gong, maybe I want to go to another B2B company. Maybe the reader will support me for you know the rest of my career or six months, right? While I take a little break. Like I, I just like to have that option. And that's kind of what I'm building is like, I'm just building it and building it and building it until I have the opportunity to decide, hey, do I want to do this full time or do I want to keep it as a really fun, you know, it's like a hobby that pays a little bit. It's not, it's not paying all my mortgage, but it's, you know, paying, putting some money in my pocket. So that's what kind of just the, the way that I view that. Nice. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Cause like, I feel like someone that's lived a, a good living example of this right now is Gatano. Like Gatano, he's leaving next Tiva and like, he's the same thing. He doesn't want, like, I remember him posting something on like Twitter or something. He was like, someone asked me for my like resume and I basically told him I wasn't interested anymore. Like, he's like, if you can't get the information off my LinkedIn profile or what I've built and put out there, like, I don't want any, anything to do with it in the first place. I wouldn't be that forward. Like I get, it. I still get why some people want a resume, but yeah, that's the point, right? Is like, it's a, another way to put it is like, I want to be like recruited or like, I want, you know, someone to reach out to me, a CMO, VP marketing, be like, Hey, like I've seen what you've done. I've been kind of following you. Like, let's have a conversation if you want to work here. And I think the other part, maybe what uh, he was kind of mentioning is like early in my career, every time I went into an interview, I'm so nervous because I'm like, I hope they think I'm good enough. I hope they see the value that I think I have. Versus now I want it to be like, I'm interviewing you just as much, if not more. Like I'm deciding the next team that I go play for and I don't have to, you know, I, I can be selective. And even if you're not, you know, head of content or anything, like you can build a brand that lets you do that. You could be an SDR and be like, no, next role, I'm going to be an AE and I'm going to pick where I'm going to go. Or I'm going to be, I'm a manager. I'm going to pick where I go be a director or even just a lateral move of, you know, maybe you love being a manager, be a manager. There's no, you don't need to go up every single time, but you have a lot of power when you can build up that equity, no pun intended, and then you can be selective and you can pick better jobs and you can have a more fulfilled life. So that's the road I'm going down. Definitely. I love it. So I, I think a lot of marketers fail to pursue their own passions outside of a nine to five, because again, they fear what their employer will think. I know we talked about that a little bit, but how do you communicate with Gong as you pursue personal projects on the side? Yeah. So, I mean, so I started the reader before I started at Gong. It was like a little bit before. It's kind of that, that tweener stage between Eventbrite and Gong. And 
even at the beginning when I interviewed with our VP of sales, I told him like, I'm 100% dedicated to this role, but I can't promise I'm going to be your AE like in five years. Like, I don't know that I want to be here. And I think I want to get into content or sales enablement. And so I prefaced that early. And then later when I went to my VP and be like, Hey, I want this marketing role. Do I have your blessing? He, there's no hesitation. He was like, yeah, you told me early on, you've earned it. Like I can see this, like go for it. So I think that's important. But the other part, like maybe you didn't have that opportunity, like, you know, you're midway through your time at a company is like, just have open communication with your manager and your leadership team. For me, I have the reader. I don't really like broadcast a ton of like these other projects. Like I don't try to make the market think like I'm working at four companies, you know what I mean? Which I'm not, but you know what I mean? Like I'm dedicated to Gong and that's where I want to be reflected as. And then I have my personal brand as well, but that's Devin Reed, right? I'm not like working for other you know, companies per se. For projects that I do decide like, hey, you know, there's some adjacent work here. It's in the sales space. Like I have a, I do have a, a project coming out in a couple of months that I'll share shortly. I did just go to my my manager and I'm like, hey, I just want you to know, like I'm, I'm doing this thing. Here's the time commitment. I'm not spending any work hours, like eight to five is gong and like nothing is going to be sacrificed. But I want you to know. So when you see the promotion or you see the videos come out, you're not like, is Devin like leaving? Like what is happening here? Like you don't want to, you want to eliminate all confusion basically. So just, I would say just communicate it up. And at the end of the day, like if push comes to shove, like your, your employer can't force you to do anything on LinkedIn, just like they can't force you to do anything on Facebook or Twitter or et cetera. Like look at your code of conduct. There's probably some rules in there of things you can and can't say is like, but basically those are being a good human being. It's like, don't be awful online is basically the other way to think about it. So it's like, if you're building your brand on LinkedIn or otherwise, like have confidence in that it's yours. If other people try to take it away from you, it's because there's value there. No one tries to take away things that aren't of value. Yeah, I, I'm 100% with you. And so I know we're coming up on time. I just got a few final questions for you. So for other marketers who are on the fence about pursuing a personal project, because for me, like I've done a few of them now and I've kind of gone down that same path about you, you know, just letting know like, hey, there's nothing, no time commitment within the work hours. I'm dedicated to what I do and what I get paid to do here. But what would you share with them about why it's important to pursue a personal project if they want to? I go back to like regret. Like I, I try to avoid lost opportunity. You know, I tell people like lost potential is worse than lost money. Like who knows? And and I've written on this in the newsletter kind of ironically is like, there's always like that what if game, like what if I do it and it fails? What if I do it and my boss emails me and hates it? Or what if whatever? And it's easy to let all those negative, you know, thoughts prevent you from even going for it in the first place. So if you're having these doubts, I say just play the rest of the what if game, which is like, what if it's a hit? What if it it opens up doors to your next biggest opportunity? What if, you know, dot, 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 and just, and just do the positive reflection of that negative thought? That should get you excited. If you get that, like, juice flowing, you're like, yeah, maybe this is for me, and you get excited about doing the project, then that's what you should go do and follow it. Like, it's better to have done it and failed than to never do it at all, because then you never know. And, like, for the newsletter, like, you know, I got a sponsor pretty quickly and a lot faster than I thought I would, right? It's, and that has opened up other doors of opportunity. And the newsletter did a lot more for me than I even thought and a lot faster than I thought. So other people can do it, too. It's, like, whatever it is, if it's a course, it's whatever, like, if you need to, tell yourself it's a one-time test. I'm going to put all my all into it. I'm going to set some kind of, like, goals for myself and say, hey, the reason you want to set goals is, like, maybe you want to sell a 100 of whatever, you know, whatever, newspaper, who cares, whatever you're creating, magazine, who cares. Maybe you're like, I want to sell a hundred of them because if you sell a hundred, then you know, you're onto something and you have some momentum and you should keep doing it. If you sell five, 
maybe that's the wrong idea or you know what I mean? Like you can kind of like gauge yourself before you commit to like, you know, I wouldn't say quit your day job and go do this like course, this magazine, this personal brand thing. Like I'm a big believer in building it while you still have a nine to five because you have security and financial stability. I also am a dad now. So like I, I have that like, you know, that push. But I mean, just go for it. Like, like literally think of what's the worst that can happen. That never happens. The worst almost never actually happens. And there's so much upside. For everyone listening, definitely take advantage of that because I think that's so important to know because like I think people and I was it was funny because I was talking to Ross Simmons like a couple weeks ago, again, another big name in like the content creation world. And so uh, one thing that he was saying was like people have the fear of being judged what others will think of them. And like that's the reason that they don't put stuff out there. And it's just like you got to get over that hump because it opens so many more doors than you would even imagine if you stick to it. 100%. And and I think the other thing too, Nick, to build on is like, I think when people think about building a personal brand, especially like digitally on LinkedIn, because I know that's where me and you hang out a lot, is like, there's this mindset of like popularity. I don't think anyone thinks like I'm trying to be popular, but they're like, I want to be liked. I want everyone who sees my stuff to like me. Instead of trying to be uh, popular or liked by the masses, think about being liked by a very small group of people that you're actually targeting or, you know, that you care about, right? So it's like, who cares about content strategy? Like if finance managers don't like me, that's okay. I don't live to serve them and they're not, I'm not trying to pull them towards me, right? I'm not trying to pull everyone towards me. So it's like, don't try to be popular. Just try to provide value to a small group of people. And it's okay if you have 5,000 people that love you, a hundred subscribers that read consistently, like it's better to have a small, highly engaged audience and group that supports you than it is to try to have like, you know, a hundred thousand followers, but you actually don't get that much engagement or your, you know, your newsletter is not really read and shared or, you know, yep. that's what yeah, well said, man. I, I definitely agree with you. All right. So last question I got for you, because like, I feel like there's so much going on in your head that like, I got to know. So like, what's one, what's the source of inspiration for your LinkedIn content? Because I feel like you do balance it pretty well between like gong related stuff as well as like personal stuff. And then like, do you keep notes or like, where are your ideas stored or like, what's your workflow? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's not, not to compare myself to Malcolm Gladwell by any means, but I watched his masterclass specifically for that thing. I'm like, dude, I, I like your work. Tell me all the stories you want. But like, how do you actually do the thing that you do? I've read a bunch of, I've read it from like Anthony Bourdain and how he does his thing to like, you know, to Malcolm Gladwell and people in between. And here's what I've learned. Everyone has a different process. There's no one thing I can tell you that like, if you do this, it will work. So like, I don't want to make, make it anticlimactic, but like the lesson, first of all, is like, you have to find what works for you. What works for me. And I did it this morning. Um, I try to get into like a flow. I don't know if anyone knows like flow state is. If you don't go Google it, it's it might seem a little like like woo-woo, it's a little wishy-washy, but I promise you if you can find flow state, it, it will change your life. But for me, it's music and exercise gets me going a little bit. So like this morning, I was listening to Kate Chinata, went on a 20-minute walk with my dog, got into the office, had a cup of coffee, and now I'm like ready to talk to you. I feel like I'm on right now. And I want to be on for this podcast because I care about it. I care about your product and, you know, this content being the product. So I, I want to deliver that. And so I know when I have some creation to do or I want to, you know, have an hour to do brainstorming, whatever, that's what I do. I move my body a little bit, listen to some music to get some rhythm going. And then I have an Evernote of ideas and thoughts. Sometimes it's a half written post. You know, you, you get that spark of inspiration. Like, oh, yeah, that's really. Let me just jot that down. 
the, the train of inspiration comes by, stop what you're doing and just write it until it's out. Like write that post, even if it's really drafty. Sometimes it's just a one-liner where I'll be like, you know, talking to a, you know, listening to a CRO panel, right? Because we, we market to sales leaders. Someone will say one really good thing. I'm like, oh, that's brilliant. Like, let me write that thought down. Oh, here's this idea that could come from that. Here's another idea that can come from that. And I just list it all down. And then if I have the juice in the moment, I'll flesh one out completely. But oftentimes I'll just come back to it right? I have an hour for Q4 planning. Let me go back to that little notepad I have and just like go through some ideas. And so it's kind of a mix. I know, again, this isn't like ABC, you know, gets you or one, two, three gets you to like end goal, but like, that's kind of the creative process for me. And then on Sunday mornings, I usually have a cup of coffee and I just try to pick like two or three of those ideas, write out full LinkedIn posts, or at least like 90% done. I don't pre-schedule my LinkedIn posts. I don't like, I wake up in the morning. I'm like, what do I feel like wearing today? What's the weather like? What's my mood? Oh, I like that sales post, but like, mm, I'm kind of spicy today. I'm going to hit this other one that, that I like. Like, that's me. So like, even like the newsletter, I just started doing like pre-scheduling it. I would just wake up, crack my knuckles and be like, all right, let's put the final touches on this. It might be 8.15 in the morning. It might be 6.30 whenever I wake up. But like, that's just kind of how, how I like to operate. Nice. That's, it, it's so, so important too, because it's funny. Cause like, I've, you know, you take people like Justin Welsh, who I know he like, pre-publishes like a lot of his stuff. And then for me, like, I literally take like five minutes every morning and try to remember what I wrote, like what I thought about in the shower to by the time I get to my phone or like whatever. But like you said, it's what works for me might not work for you and vice versa. And I think it's understanding, hey, these are some ways that work for me, like try out your own stuff. And if it works for you, great. Like you got to find out at the end of the day, what works best for you for sure. Yeah. And if you're listening to this, take a piece of what Nick said, maybe a piece of mine, try it out. Like walking with something new, like DG wrote about a while ago and I already kind of like knew it, but he just reminded me. So I was like, and I talked to another buddy. He's like, I walk every morning before my, you know, my first sales call. So I was like, let me just do that in the morning. And it's been great. I've been doing it for two weeks and I've like just start the day. I drink caffeine later. I feel better throughout the day. But again, I'm not like following one person's, you know, A through Z. I'm like pickpocketing this, this, and this, put it together and, you know, find your own creative flow. Exactly. Uh, I love that, man. Well, honestly, you know, it's been a pleasure. Where can people go to learn more about you, all the amazing things that they're doing? Plug anything that you want to plug. I'll make sure to throw it in the show notes as well. Yeah, yeah, man. So, I mean, LinkedIn, Devin Reed, that's that's where I'm most active. If you want to check out the content strategy newsletter, go to newsletter.thereader.co. I'll let you put it in the notes so you don't try to spell it. It's reader with two E's because I love puns. Or you can just go to thereader.co. That's right. You know, have consulting and folks can uh, hit me up there. Awesome. Devin, I appreciate you spending some time with me. It was fantastic. Of course, man. Thank you so much. Likewise, man. Always a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Rep Your Brand. Make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And if you learned something new today, it'd be great if you left us a review. We'll catch you next time.